Hi everyone, you're listening to PR Hangover's mini podcast series about contemporary legends in public relations. This series features recaps of chapters in a self-published book written by graduate students from GVSU's 2005 communications class. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hi everyone, so we're doing a little mini-series about contemporary legends of public relations. I have Adrienne Wallace here with me, and she was part of this book, so we're going to kind of talk through what it was, and then also focus on her chapter, which was about Betsy Plank. So can you give us a little background about why you guys created this? Yeah, so um, Betty Pritchard was a professor in the APR program um, in the early 2000s, and, and previous to that, actually. Okay. But she came up with this idea for us to self-publish this book. Okay. And to do that, we had to essentially do like a report on somebody that we admired or that we found to be of interest. Mm-hmm. And um, Betsy Plank actually was not my first choice. Um, my first choice, um, who was um, somebody that was still living, and of course Betsy was at that time too, but the, my first choice um, declined to be part of a student project. Oh. And uh, said it wasn't worth her time, essentially. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the first, <laughs> my first shot right. at, right, <laughs> at trying to pay um, some respect to somebody within... <gasps> Goodness. The professional community said no to me, which is fine because I mean sometimes people are going to say no, right? right? And so it actually turns out to be sort of like kismet that this chapter even came to be because, while I'm sure somebody probably would have picked up Betsy Plank because she's such a pivotal role model mm-hmm. in public relations, the fact that I ended up with her is sort of it's sort of funny because um, I think that indirectly that this project probably influenced my whole career. So this book was put together um, by a class mm-hmm. and we self-published it. So it doesn't exist like on bookshelves anywhere right. or anything like that. I did send a copy of this to um, the Plank Center in Alabama. So they do have like a copy on file there. Sure. Whether or not it's something that's useful to them, I'm unsure. But this book is loaded with, I mean, amazing people, and you're going to highlight them all, so I won't do any spoilers. But mm-hmm. the beauty of this whole project was that um, Betty was kind of ahead of her time, too, in how she dealt with student projects, and that self-publishing a book in the early 2000s, late 90s, was not something that you really would have done. It's not like Amazon was something you could, you know, just <laughs> dial up and be, in. you know, it's like... Publish it out there. Right. Them. It wasn't like that. We didn't have, you know, blogs or anything sure. of that nature. So John Stipe, who you'll know from our program, mm-hmm. um, he's recently retired, but he was our editor. He was also in the graduate program um, with Derek, actually, and myself. And um, so we all had a hand in this, and I think that it turned out to be something that a lot of people have forgotten about, but I dug my copy off the shelf, you know, brushed it off, and there's so many amazing people that are highlighted in this book. It's um, cool, and it's well-written. And it's... <laughs> yeah, it is <Yeah>. interesting. <laughs> um, and I think that, well, when I brought this up as a project, I think that most people that have participated in this forgot about it altogether. Right. Um, and so when we went and found them on LinkedIn and whatnot, everyone was pretty happy to, like, revive it. Yeah. Um, but it seems like sort of misplaced. Like, I feel like we need to do something else with it. And so Mm -hmm. that's where 
the idea of this podcast sort of came from, but also I think that it has a future someplace. I just haven't had the time to sort of dissect what that sure. thing, what that looks like just yeah. yet. So Betsy Plank came to be for me as a one. I got rejected by another person um, that I was interested in that was in the public affairs area. Okay. And um, so Betsy, you know, when I did this, was still alive. So she um, passed away in 2010. And um, I got to meet her. She actually has, or had rather, um, a cottage on Lake Michigan in Fenville, Michigan. Mm -hmm. So she lived in Chicago um, for the most part. And then, can't, you know. What trans Yeah, here. absolutely. She would come here for vacation, holidays, and whatnot. And I can remember that when I, um, f she corresponded also by letter, which is important to note because I don't think that you understand yet the gravity <laughs> of having to wait for a response no. for somebody through U.S. mail in no. a form of a letter. <laughs> I, that's kind of foreign to me. <laughs> exactly. So I can remember trying to set this up and what, um, how difficult it was because, you know, you didn't just call Betsy Plank. Like, that. You, that's just not something. It would be like calling, like, Beyonce. Like, yeah. you don't call them. <laughs> you have to formally. <laughs> right. It's like a thing. It's a whole process. And so when I can remember, um, you know, negotiating this back and forth for months before she finally was like, well, why don't you just visit me mm -hmm. uh, in person and um, we can take care of all your questions. And so yeah. on some crappy November Michigan day, um, I spent what was going to be a couple of hours maybe um, and turned out to be like the whole day uh, with Betsy Plank at her cottage in the Fenville area yeah. off of the Blue Star Highway. And so... Um, I don't know. I, you know, I wasn't sort of the start of my career at that point. I didn't really, I guess this was like 2000, before 2005. Um, so I just don't feel like I really appreciated probably even that time. I mean, I knew it was a big deal, mm -hmm. but I don't think I really kind of sucked up all of that I should have mm -hmm. because I didn't know who I was yet. Right. And, um, I think part of the charm of this chapter and looking back on it and rereading it again and really thinking about this is like you said earlier, is that how closely related my career has actually become to what her legacy, right. ch she chose her legacy to be. Yeah. So as I was reading this, um, a couple things stood out because she said that kind of her legacy was through students and through encouraging like thought and leadership within future professionals. And that's literally what you do. Sure. Well, while I don't really consider myself quite of the uh, <laughs> of the highlight of, you know, I'm not Beyonce yet, aka right. Betsy Plank. But um, I will say that as I've gotten through my career and more more into my career, it became increasingly more important for me to involve students, even before I was like formalized as a professor at Grand Valley, mm -hmm. to involve students in day-to-day -day activities because I didn't have an Adrian. Like I didn't have someone to go to and ask a question about, I don't know, how do I dress for an interview or, you know, should I send a follow-up thing? I just didn't really have, I mean, even like Betty Pritchard, who was a fantastic professor, I just didn't have that relationship with her, and I mm -hmm. always sort of felt like I got kind of left in the dust. And the beginning of my um, my own career, when I was still in, in classes at Grand Valley, um, you know, and why I mentor in, in the first place is because, 
you know, this happened to me sort of twice. This woman didn't want to interview with me because it wasn't worth it to engage with students. Basically, it was like beneath her. And then secondly, when I was an undergraduate, um, I wrote a note to a woman in town and asked her to like basically be my mentor, which I didn't even know what that meant. Mm -hmm. And she told me I was a suck up and that that relationship was basically a waste of time for her also. And so rejection is sort of the underlying theme here, right? Where I ask people to sort of be my people or my Mm -hmm. person. And in both of those times where I really felt like I put myself out there, I was like stone cold rejected. And so um, the one from my undergraduate experience particularly stung because I just really felt like I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, I don't know if you can relate to that yet, but like, I know that confidence is such a hard um, trait to even have when you're young. And so here I was trying to like establish this like method to get better and mm. nobody cared really. So, and by nobody, I mean those two people. <laughs> so, so when I was looking back at all of this in general and thinking about how this has influenced me, I mean, I guess I didn't really put it together until um, really I pulled this book out again, but like it is about the students because I mean, it's, uh, it's very likely that we could work together someday or it's very likely that you could be my boss someday or that you could be any of my peers boss someday. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just don't think that being over prepared is ever a situation. Like I think you can never be too prepared. Right. Yeah. And so in passing along sort of like legacy information with students, I feel like it's so important that they and people like you are not afraid to ask questions of people that have been there, done that sort of thing, but also to not assume that my experience and the soul, you know, um, the sum of my experiences will not be exactly the same as yours. And so like, you really have to, you know, take what you're asking and then apply it. Right. So like get the insight and then apply it like any other type of research. So in thinking about how this all kind of like goes together and wraps um, together in this like complex little package, I really think that um, while, you know, Betsy Plank was like a hugger, I'm not really a hugger, but um, thinking about how to transcend sort of this like transactional relationship with students into an actual relationship with students, I think is what has been um, like the trick for me, right? Is Mm -hmm. that I honestly really do care what happens to you. And so I, and it's not that I think that other people don't, I think that sometimes it's hard to show that Mm -hmm. um, and not feel like you're going to be taken advantage of or, you know, that you're overly vulnerable um, as like the quote unquote adult in the room. Right. So um, using this, I I sort of think that like it allows me to get away with some things. Right. It makes me be able to push you a lot harder and you will bend and not break. Maybe that certain other professors may not be able to do. Um, But it also gives you the security I guess to be able to really say somebody's looking out for me but Mm -hmm. not in a way that's enabling like I am not an enabler so I think like in college you have these really exceptional especially at Green Valley because we're still kind of small I mean our major and minors I think together are like 700 or something like Mm -hmm. that so it's it's a good size major but and I don't think that I'm the only person that's like uniquely qualified to be you know um, super close to students. I just think that I make it a, pri- a priority, mm-hmm. um, sometimes even when I shouldn't. 
But um, I think it's so important, one, to give you confidence, two, to retain you in our major, in our school. I mean, I really do want you to, like, graduate. I don't want you just to, like, fumble around yeah. with no direction through college and, and feel like you're not making what you need to make you're for your life. what you need to get out of it. Right. Um, the other part of that is, though, I can't do it for you. Right. Um, and... I do know what it feels like to need someone just to, like, pat you on the back and be like, get your ass back out there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, today sucks, but tomorrow won't. Um, or, and I've always sort of, I think, thought of this, like, I, I have a strong athletics background, and so I've always sort of thought of this as more like coaching than teaching or, prof, you know, being a professor. Yeah. So more like a coach in that, you know, here's our strategy, uh, here's the opponent's weaknesses, you know, how do we exploit that for your benefit and, and for your success? And I've always kind of taken that to, to heart. And I always felt like, I was just talking about this with somebody last night, which is funny. Um, I've always felt like, the and Tom Izzo, his whole, like, sideline behavior fiascos through the March Madness bracket has sort of come to full front in that, like, the tough love and, like, in, like, how people interpret actions is different based on perspective. Mm-hmm. So, like, my approach may not work for everybody. However, I don't feel like anybody ever leaves our program and feels like I wasn't at least rooting for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, comes in a lot of ways. For some people, it's like I really put the screws to you. You know, like, my classes are hard. Yeah. And, you know, my relationship with students is complicated in that I really want you to succeed. And sometimes that means not, like, stroking your hair or, you know, hugging you or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not my approach. My approach is like, you know, how do I show you how much you have already that you don't yet have confidence to sort of put out there yourself and just give you, you know, the, you know, a little bit of manufactured confidence because you don't have it yet. So like, mm-hmm. how can I help you feel more secure in that? Yeah. Um, so that you'll go for it. And it's not always a win. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't always work. But at the end of the day, I think it does help a student and helps people in general, not just young people, but feel like they have someone on their side. And like if this experience, you know, deteriorates, then at least they can come back and, you know, unpack it with somebody and talk Mm -hmm. about why and then like try to fix it. Right. Um, Which is the power of not feeling alone, right? Yeah. So. I think also like kind of bringing it back to Betsy Mm -hmm. and like all of her involvement within PRSA Mm -hmm. and just everything with that. Yeah. Um, I think that just being a tireless advocate for your profession is like not a bad place to start. Mm-hmm. Um, and PRSA I've been involved with for, I mean, well over probably 15 years now. Um, I'm in the West Michigan chapter, but also I'm the chair elect for the East Central District PRSA. Um, and like showing that there's a path of leadership for young people from PRSSA through to national PRSA, mm-hmm. I think is important for the profession. Yeah. It brings new blood into kind of an old, you know, an older demographic leadership group. Mm-hmm. Um, it allows for people to take ownership of what it is that they do. Um, it empowers young people to look towards somebody else as a mentor or a helping friend. Um, but it also maintains um, high standards of ethics and personal and, and professional practice that I think a lot of other professions don't necessarily have. So, like, there's a clear path from PRSSA leadership to PRSA national. Like, Mm -hmm. you can make that happen in, you know, a few years. 
And I just don't think it's that easy in some other professions, nor do we have sort of that homegrown mentor attitude where everybody sort of helps everybody. Right. And I really do feel that way with PRSA. Yeah, that's cool. Um, the other thing about Betsy, which, I mean, you know, she she didn't, she the, like her PR wasn't her like dream or anything in the beginning right. either, which I think is important to note is that her career was as accidental as most of ours, right? Like yeah. I, you know, you don't hear kids like when they're five years old say like, when I grow up, I want to be in public relations. Like they're like, I want to be a lawyer, a doctor, a fireman, an astronaut, right? <laughs> a teacher. Um, and so I think that it's important to note that one of the, you know, arguably one of the most successful women in the history of public relations had no idea what she was doing either. <laughs> yeah, I liked in your in your piece you wrote that she like didn't know what the job was and no so idea. the but somebody told her just go do it and then I'll help you. Right. So I think that like part of the like of the charm of that is like feeling the fear and then just doing it anyway. <laughs> um and there's something charming about that and something inspiring about that and also something that's real homegrown about that. Like, <laughs> you probably felt that way. I certainly have felt that yeah. way. And, you know, despite really not having any idea what she kind of wanted to do or how to do it, um, she took what would be traditionally known as, like, a liberal arts background, which mm -hmm. is, um, you know, history. She was, like, a history buff. And really use that to her benefit to you to create strategy and betterment of mm -hmm. something where at this time was still when PR was sort of like you know early in her career was still when PR was being like labeled and you know needed ethics more than ever and um, really she really helped shape what the profession looks like and I don't just mean by like winning all of the awards and doing all of that but like literally like boots on the ground. Because she was one of those people that would get in there and really just fix things. And she kind of was like no BS. I mean, she's a little tiny, she was a little tiny lady. Like, you look at her and you kind of, you can underestimate her easily. Because she's a small human. <laughs> <laughs> but I will tell you, there is nothing small about her power. There was nothing small about, you know, her personality. And mm -hmm. there was certainly nothing small about her impact. And I think that that's... Um, kind of a, a lovely little tribute to like how she ran things i mean mm -hmm. she did not you know no f's given betsy yeah. plank so um seeing how she kind of worked it out through like you know basic rejection like we all have felt before through to where she became arguably one of the most influential women in public relations history i think is really kind of interesting and that she never ever didn't give back so she always had sort of this like philanthropic point to her from like the United Way all the way through the Girl Scouts and she served mm -hmm. on these like national boards um also PRSA of course um but was like you know the fairy godmother basically to PRSSA yeah and you probably you know you never got to meet her see her but she would carry around like this little like bag on wheels and it would have like every pamphlet in the free world in it <laughs> and she would stop and hug you and ask you and it didn't matter who you were if she came across you and she thought that, she, you know, she had something to say or you had something to tell her, she was going to listen. And mm -hmm. it didn't matter that she was, like, one of the most powerful, you know, PR gals out there. Wow. Because um, she was still going to do it, which I think is really that's cute. cool. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's really cool. Yeah. What was your experience like actually talking to her? 
Well, she's a, I mean, she was, I keep saying is like it was just yesterday. Cause it, now that I'm talking about it, it seems like it's so fresh, but, um, she's just a storyteller like the rest of us, right? Mm-hmm. Like how do you convey experiences best, you know, through, you know, first person narrative mm-hmm. and, you know, um, in the opening of this chapter, um, the, and why I opened with a question in this chapter, which is now what are you going to do is because that's how she told the story. And instead of being like, Oh, this and this hurry to the conclusion. I mean, literally it was the story like mm-hmm. of her getting on the train and going to find, you know, it was this whole thing. Yeah. And so, um, I think that she just was a, you know, and it was like time stood still, but then, you know, eight hours later I was like, well, I should probably get going. Yeah. I remember <laughs> a, a while ago we had talked about this, about starting this and you were telling me that when you were interviewing her, uh-huh. like she flipped it around and interviewed you. Oh yeah. It was like some kind of like ninja mind trick or something. And <laughs> at some point, you know, it was really less about, um, her achievements, which was like classic Betsy. And more about like what I, what I wanted to do and how I felt like I could get there. Mm -hmm. And, um, at this time, I mean, I was working in public relations, but I wasn't, I don't think a hundred percent convinced I even knew I should be there. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's, you know, pretty common imposter syndrome is a pretty common feeling, but I think that she gave me, she asked me a bunch of questions to sort of show myself my own worth, um, and help me sort of. Mm, say I don't really want this necessarily, but maybe this. Like, we just sort of weighed... We just walked through it like a, a mentor would with a mentee. And, I mean, I, I didn't know her even well enough to do that. I felt... Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like I apologized at some point and was like, I don't know how this happened, but I'm supposed to be interviewing you for this book chapter. You're right. not... You know, you're not my therapist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, she didn't seem to mind. And, you know, that was just... Her way was that... You know, it wasn't about her, and PR is not about us, right? It's about our client or, mm-hmm. you know, our audience. And I thought that that was a really clever trick that she kind of pulled on me to get yeah. the focus off of her, which she was, you know, not uncomfortable with, but certainly was more interested in, in, in learning my story than telling her own. Right. I kind of think you do that a little. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm just really, I mean, I don't. I've had a lot of things happen to me in life. Like, it's going to be a Lifetime movie probably sometime. But um, I never am more interested in what happened to me than what I am of what other people are doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that is just, like, you're trained classically in public relations to not think about self, but to think about client and audience. And what you're going to, like, how you can use what they're telling you to right. help them. And, uh, you know, advocacy really at its core. Right. And so I think that that's an important thing to note, um, that contributions come from like all sorts of different places. And so learning more about other people helps add to your experience, Mm -hmm. not just not detract from it. Mm -hmm. Do you have any final thoughts about Betsy you'd like to share? Not really. I just find that it's so genuinely amazing I guess in parting here that one single person could be so influential and if more practitioners had it in their mind to be more influential in general for the profession mm-hmm. uh, not just for their clients or where they work etc for the profession as a whole right if we all decided to be advocates for our profession like what what kind of world would that look like for PR mm-hmm. and I think it would be um, pretty bright and shiny and would also 
um, encourage other people to come into public relations um, at a time where it's sort of like, it's hard to identify it, you know, people, oh, it's marketing, it's kind of, so we're already kind of have this confusion about what PR is, Yeah. but I think if we had more advocates, then more people would understand what it is earlier and be able to adopt it as like a profession or, or mm-hmm. an educational experience earlier. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for talking yeah, about Yeah, for this. sure. This is going to be a great little series here. I mean... Um, there's so many rich personalities in this book and I'm hoping we can maybe even track down Betty and see if she would like talk a little bit about the origin of this assignment even. I think that Mm -hmm. that would be really interesting to, to kind of consider, but surely John will come on and talk to you. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks again. Thank you. And happy Betsy Plank Day. Oh, yes. (laughs) Four, four. Four, four. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter at GV underscore PRSSA and check out our show notes at PRSSA.com.